welcome back to Anya's by Alma. Um, I'm Alma, and this is my podcast, kind of delving into the works of Anya Sparta, one film at a time. And today I am joined by Courtney Bush. Courtney, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. For sure. Um, this is a treat because you're now um, the second person that I've met for this podcast. Um, oh, cool. So I'm glad that I get to like forge friendships through this. Yeah. It's cool. Um, awesome. Well, what's your relationship with Anya Svarta's work? Um, have you seen much before or? Um, my relationship with, uh, oh my God. Okay. Also, I, I've always <laughs> said Agnes. And no, so that's perfectly valid. On yes, on yes. No, I'm real. I'm like, okay, I'm about to level up. It's going to be on yes, Barta <laughs> from now on for the rest of my life. Um, I came in contact with Agnes Varda through, honestly, the first um, movie of hers that I ever saw was The Gleaners and I. And it was oh, because nice. it was on somebody's syllabus and uh, a friend and I watched it and I was just like, oh, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. And it made me feel so, um, I'm a filmmaker myself and it made me feel so free to play, you know? <laughs> and then somehow one of the second films I saw was Uncle Yonko and as we'll talk about more, just kind of like the joy and color in Uncle Yonko was really exciting to me. And it was like a pleasure to watch. Mm -hmm. And I feel like maybe I was in a place where I thought like serious things were not, a you know, it's like a struggle to watch like great films sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And like watching this, I was like, oh, this is fun and pleasant. So yeah, I just became a huge fan right away. That's awesome. Wow. Mm -hmm. Those are two great ones to start with. I think those yeah. are like maybe my two favorites. So amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I love them. I was like just blown away by the cleaners and I, which I'm not sure if you, you'll probably get to that much later. Yeah. It's down the yeah. line, but I'm very, very excited. That's the one that I'm always like, when I introduce friends to Anya Sparta, I'm sort of like, check this one out. I think you'll yeah. really get a sense of who she is. Um, do you want to start by talking about Uncle Yanko? Cause I feel like especially if that's among the earliest ones both you and I watched of her work and it's just a nice vibe to yeah that sounds great with. okay yeah cool, cool, cool um great so Uncle Yanko I did not write what year this was I'm gonna say 68 yeah Uncle Yanko made in 1968 and if I need to edit that later I will edit <laughs> that later um cool so this was is this your second time watching or third time I think it's maybe my fourth time oh, watching nice. it because I, I actually watched it recently because I was, I was kind of thinking about doing a short documentary about, it's like a houseboat. And so in Mississippi where I'm from. And so I was like trying to think of references of like, I've never really made any documentary work. So I was like, okay, what are some short documentaries that I like? And even though uncle Yonko isn't really in some ways it is, in some ways it isn't a documentary. And I think it's really interesting the way that narrative plays out in it. But I guess, do you do like a little intro? Do you tell people what the movie is? Yeah, I guess I should. Yeah. <laughs> it's worth going over uh, for sure. So yeah, so I guess she was at a film festival in California and like had heard about this distant relative of hers living out there and like had some of her crew of people like kind of scouted out and they found this guy, Jean Varda, and he's living on like a houseboat that really looks like Greece to me. It's like this little Greece in California and he is Greek and it's sort of about their meeting and uh, 
just this like happy reunion of a film. I don't know if you watched, um, there, there was like a little intro she gave in like 2008. I don't know if you found that at all. Um, Mm -mm. But she basically talks a little bit about the context of the movie. And she said that she had like three days to shoot it. Um, It was just this incredibly rushed production, which I think is like kind of gives it, it's really kind of flying by the seat of its pants pacing. Um, Yeah. Which I thought was really cool. Yeah, it feels very like energetic. And I love that. I I had no idea that that was the the story of it or how it came to be. But it makes, yeah, it makes so much sense. Like just watching it, what I really love about it is she's upfront about like, this is a reenactment of meeting my uncle, which Mm -hmm. I really loved. And there are these moments that feel as if they're really like documenting a moment of real life. And then you kind of, I was kind of like going in and out realizing like, oh, this isn't a documentary exactly. This is staged and scripted, but she's telling you that it's staged and scripted, but it's still interesting the way that at least my brain would like go to this place where it's like, oh, wow, look at all these people in Sausalito. And it's like, oh, right. They were gathered together for the purposes of this scene. There's one scene where Yonko is walking around and saying like, up here, we talk about poetry and art and love. These two are talking about love and it's like two people making out and they're like, oh, hi. <laughs> and, and for a second, I'm like, that's so interesting. But then it's also like, oh, right. They were set there and told to make out. It's like all stage, but it's like, totally. but because she's like, this is a reenactment. It's like almost both things at the same time. Yeah. It plays with reality for sure. And it, I think also, cause uncle Yanko just seems like such a genuine Right. Guy that I'm assuming I don't really question his world at all um, or yeah. what we're seeing. It's like, yeah, he would walk up to the making out couple and just be like, oh, look at them. They're so sweet. Right. Um, yeah. I, w- I wanted to actually specifically talk about that scene where they reenact their meeting. You are the daughter of a Jeanne Yes, I am. Is it correct to a Vienu because that's like the actual mechanics of like filmmaking don't come up again in that movie unless I'm forgetting like the actual like seeing the crew in the production yeah I love that scene too because Something about it feel it it taps into this very childlike feeling of I think filmmaking and of play act because it's play acting especially with them like non actors mm-hmm. it's and yes and um, Uncle Yanko like neither of them are actors in my mind I'm not identifying them as actors but like they're kind of like hugging and turning to the camera and laughing it's like was that good again like let's do it again and in these different different ways and they're messing up the takes like she's still in frame when he's like supposed to be talking to her from a far away distance right. she's like oh oh no and like leaves the frame <laughs> and it's just like oh this is so it's so funny and in the silliness it's very moving to me that like this is an art form that we that means so much to people because it's like play acting and so much technology has been like invented and created for just storytelling but mm-hmm. I don't know that that moment it's just like oh yeah it's like kids like we have to we have to make more and more and more technology to just like tell these little stories for whatever reason. Right. And the need to like hide the artifice of it is kind of bullshit. 
Um, yeah. It, it also kind of feels a little bit, um, to do that now, it feel watching these movies, it's also like watching something of totally a different moment where it's like, to do that now is kind of, it just doesn't carry the same effect. It's, it's kind of like a throwback or like retro to this like kind of time period. Yeah. You know, a very French new wave thing of like jump cuts in the middle of conversations or like all the things drawing attention to the technology of the film. It, it feels a little bit saying something that's already been said or something. And yeah. so watching these movies, I'm kind of like, oh man, like that must've been so fun to be working on that time and to be at the beginning of, of doing that. Where these decisions as a director or filmmaker are like really new and really yeah. bold and a community of people that are like, let's just do it like this. Like let's put in these shitty titles where it's like the name is written on a piece of tape on like a film can, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, for me, and I think you've already touched upon this, like what sets Anya Svarda apart compared to her contemporaries in French New Wave is sort of like that she's kind of laughing and not taking herself seriously as she does it. Whereas I feel like- yeah from what I've seen of other French new wave filmmakers, it can be like, they're using that to an effect to like kind of get a more serious point across or just be like, this yeah. is art. Um, yeah. I mean, like, I'm so smart. And yeah. with her, it so often feels like it's like, this is so funny. Yeah. Like this is so fun. And to show the seams doesn't have to be like a self-serious act. Yeah. And it is art. I also wanted to talk about how amazing Uncle Yonko's paintings are. I know. Talk about it. Yes. Is he he known? I mean, like speaking of kind of playing with what's real and what's fake and what's staged, like he's creating these collages of celestial cities that don't exist, but they're these like incredible, colorful skylines and shapes um, that are exquisite. And I really, I'm curious if he at all is like known in the art world or like, because I've only ever encountered that in this movie, as I'm sure most people, but. Yeah, I'm not sure. I've never, I've never heard of him outside of this movie, but I, it is so striking every time I've watched it. When it goes back to the paintings, it's like, oh, these are actually really good paintings. For moi, le but de la peinture, c'est que la lumière doit pénétrer la matière et la dématérialiser. C'est la rédemption vraiment de la matière. I feel like I've seen a lot of films and and things that are like about an ancestor or a family member where it's like the subjects aren't really that interesting. Mm -hmm. But like Uncle Yonko, it's like, oh, holy shit. Like he is an incredible painter and like all this weird, like there's so many weird tentacles of him being such an amazing subject to make a film about. Like his paintings are so amazing, but then also like the place where he lives is so amazing like you could make a film about just Sausalito which I guess she does but she, yeah like, for a 20 minute film it's about so many things like it's about filmmaking itself and like this playfulness it's about hippies mm-hmm. it's he's also sort of, political like yeah, yeah he gets into like the politics of like why leaving Greece was something he had to do yeah it's just like a lot of subjects packed in in a way that feels very very effortless or like slapdash in some ways but then when you really think about it it's like well actually like this contains so much information yeah he's just an incredibly rich person um I love that he's sort of this patriarch of this scene of like hippies that kind of he's like yeah I think like these young people get a kick out of me because I'm like older but down with the youth and like allow them to use my space to do what they want another one of the most interesting things to me about the movie too is the moment where he kind of reveals that it's actually really expensive to live in Sausalito I don't know if I remember that. Oh yeah. Okay. So it's like a weird, it's this, it's this little detail where it's in the scene where he's walking around and like 
people are making, somebody's making out and he's like, oh my, he sees another friend. Oh, my friend. And as he's walking, he says, yeah, it seems like a really scruffy place, but it's actually not cheap to live here, which Mm. is very in contrast to, it's like all these people who don't care about money, you know, I think there is this like little moment where the irony of the place is explored, but it's not like villainized or something. Yeah. It's like they're hippies, but it's also kind of like, are they hippies? <laughs> yeah. You know, but are they? It's, it's like certain aspects of like Brooklyn, you know, totally. where it's like, it's like, yeah, man, chilling hippies. But it's like, we, we, this is like one of the most expensive places to be. And like, yeah. it is more complicated than that. You know, it's like, yeah, these people don't care about money. And it's like, well, so they like live on houseboats away from society because they can afford to. Yeah, totally. And who is that accessible to? Yeah. Well, and I also feel like I waterfront, like water, like, yes, like water is this element that we all need to be. It's like returning to water and water is the element, but the access to water is a marker of like money often Mm -hmm. like coasts and coastal property. And so there's something that's like riding underneath Uncle Yonko that I feel like it's like a bit darker and and sad. And also like in a way I tend to feel like the sixties were so um, different, you know? And that is a little moment where it's like, these were probably fundamentally like rich people who like live on the water. Yeah. And to think about it in terms of like what (laughs) California is now, it's like, oh yeah. Like this is the seeds of that. Yeah. And to like see the, uh, yeah. To like have a hippie, a movie about like the California hippies, but they're like, it's expensive to live here. A lot of times the people who are the most chilled out and hippied out are it's kind of like it reminds me kind of of like goop like Gwyneth Paltrow people yeah you know that's like yeah we're just like chill and it's like oh because she like can be chill totally maybe that's maybe I'm taking this in a non <laughs> not hippie direction but there is something yeah and like even more pronounced in Lion's Love because I kept mm-hmm, thinking mm-hmm. about that where I'm like you know all this sort of political tumult is happening around them and they're just like staying in bed for just hours yeah. um yeah yeah and I feel like that's sort of the same vibe in a more pronounced way yeah it's cool that those are there and of course like I assume that that was at least partially the intention I don't think it's something like snuck in yeah and especially given Anya Sparta's subject matter like later in her career with gleaners and stuff it's like she's not mm-hmm. not conscious of these class yeah. Dynamics in all of these situations, even though it is sort of like a celebration of that scene yeah. and that society. Yeah. And it's nice that something can be a celebration and include realities for Uncle Yonko. It's like, yeah, this man has found happiness and he's ha- he has the space to have all of these like wonderful ideas. And he's found this like really wonderful life. And these people seem to have. And it's like, but it's not at no cost. It feels different than a lot of things. I feel like it's not trying. It's It doesn't seem like it's attacking anything one way or the other. Yeah. One of my favorite lines in the movie is just kind of her mission statement of like. L'oncle voulait montrer sa nièce à ses voisins. Sa nièce voulait montrer son oncle au public des salles obscures. My uncle wanted to show me to his friends, and I wanted to show my uncle to like audiences and dark theaters. Yeah. Um, where it's just like, no, it's just like, this is who he is. And then, like, the, you know, there are some real implications to that that aren't as sunshine and beautiful colors as yeah. a lot of the aesthetics of the film would suggest. Um, yeah. But yeah, it does feel pretty real in that way. And it's, yeah, that's such a sweet moment too, where it's like, these are just the two things that we want. Mm-hmm. Like I want to make a movie and 
he wants to like show his friends to me and we're both doing that at the same time so sweet yeah yeah it's just like a sweetie movie totally sweet do we want to transition to lion's love yes I would love to okay cool and I do feel like there is a lot of interesting overlap it's a tough one to summarize but it uh follows this trio played by Viva who I guess was like Warhol's muse in the Mm -hmm. 60s and Rado and Ragni are the last names I wrote down um but anyway they are in this sort of free love, love triangle, and they all live together in this kind of beautiful Hollywood Hills spot. Yeah. And they don't do much. (laughs) Um, They sort of, they love wordplay, and I feel like they really love the sound of their own voices quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And Shirley Clark, the independent New York filmmaker, comes into town to sort of ostensibly make this project about Hollywood and she's sort of this outsider to that scene and she comes into conflict with the studio system and sort of the business behind making a movie and there's like a really interesting scene where she attempts suicide we'll talk about it more but it's sort of about that quintet of people and then also just the surrounding political moment of like RFK's assassination um, and an assassination attempt on Warhol. It almost feels like sort of the the flower power dream of the 60s is sort of dying and like a failure in some ways and how these three kind of grapple with that and observe that and like what their place is in that. Yeah I loved it. I had never even like heard of it. before and I just like adored this movie and um also Viva like I didn't know very much about Viva and like also Viva's Gabby Hoffman's mom oh I didn't know that yeah Viva raised Gabby Hoffman in the Chelsea Hotel it's like absolutely insane um but yeah I like Viva obviously is a muse like I was like, oh yeah, I could watch you eat cereal for ten hours. Like mm-hmm. you, I, I don't. You have it, whatever it is. The opening scene where the three of them they they come into this house, which is the most beautiful, beautiful place, mm-hmm. and they're coming in from a party, I think, and they all start eating celery. They're just eating celery and drinking this like red, very red juice, and I think pouring vodka in it or something. They're like drinking and in a huge wine glass. Yeah, like, yeah, they're, it's like all of this wordplay, but they say such amazing things. And it's about Hollywood. It's about LA. It's about their, their lives in like the California hippie dream world. But they say so many, be- I remember one of the things Viva says is. You know, the pressures here in Hollywood are so great from all the dead people. Clark Gable died too. Pat O'Brien. I Pat think O'Brien. they're ghosts, are cockroaches. And that's why we have so many cockroaches in the They kitchen. all died. I never saw a cockroach in California. Oh, what a beautiful sound. Neither did I come to think of it. I just was so obsessed with the idea of like the cockroaches being these ghosts. But then the next person that's like cockroaches, there's no cockroaches here. Like, have you ever seen cockroaches in LA? And the other guy's like, I've never. And Viva's finally like, yeah, I guess I haven't either. Like, <laughs> yeah. And she kind of says this thing that I like loved so much. And then I was like, oh, this doesn't even like relate to what their experience. They're just kind of talking and yeah I loved it they're really they're so funny the dialogue is so funny mostly I was just writing down lines that I really enjoyed oh yeah 
those. Yeah. I loved the part where they're eating their like TV dinner in bed and the guy turns the camera and he's like, this is not a TV dinner. This is a landscape dinner. Like we're looking uh-huh. at the landscape and so are you, except we're in a movie and you're not. Yeah. That was so amazing. <laughs> I also love when they're like, this is a fake bird of paradise and this is a real bird of paradise, but the fake one is prettier. Yeah. I loved that. Definitely. Varda like pans between the two of them for quite a while. And sort of uh-huh. it's almost like having both of them next to each other kind of points to the inadequacies of the other. Yeah. Um, in, in really interesting ways. And oh, go well, ahead. I was also just, well, I was also just remembering that actually the very beginning is that play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The beard, there's like a weird production. And it's about this sort of fictional encounter between Billy the Kid and... Is it Jean Harlow? It is, yes. Yeah. Yeah, because she's sort of like, of all the stars they talk about who are dead, she's the one that they keep bringing up of like, I want to be the next Jean Harlow. Because I guess I was looking up her story and she died quite young and quite suddenly. And yeah, they open this movie with like a play going on. And then our three main characters walk into the play and then the audience starts applauding them yeah it's like this very bizarre moment and then yeah and then toward the end of the film they restage the play like at the bottom of an empty pool Mm -hmm. as like a mermaid and a cowboy yeah which also that's another like theme throughout the movie divinity and like what is Mm -hmm. divine which I think the original like play scene that the movie opens with there's sort of a discussion of that of like what's divine I'm divine like is the flesh divine Divine. Divine is free. Divinity is where you least expect to find it. But there's nobody here. And we're bags of meat. And they're having this like conversation and that kind of keeps coming up where either those like religious scripts um, kind of talking about seeking divinity at more than one point talk about Hollywood stars and how they're like divine or like there's that time when Viva plays with the word star and she Mm -hmm. says like star x star x star c and then she's like ecstasy and she kind of like goes through this weird like word game um yeah that's just really interesting just like kind of talking about like sublimity and like oh yeah and they talk at the very beginning too about she's telling them the two men she's like there's a new thing going around it's like the next level Death of love you know i just found out about this new religion called the cosmic climate <laughs> mm. what about it well it's the last <laughs> step the how, cosmic how do you know because I like what you said earlier about like the exhaustion of the like flower power era because it's like looking for the next thing the next thing like you do feel them kind of like searching searching for divinity it's like you only really come up with like nonsense wordplay which on one hand you see the futility of it but that is also kind of playing at the edges of existing like Mm. on one hand it is like stupid and on one hand it's like genius and how sad it kind of is too because it's like this is gonna have to end this era is gonna have to end but it is beautiful and just the act of like committing that to film and having this movie exist as a kind of like divine and immortal Mm -hmm. um in really interesting ways um yeah what a movie I know
It's a really weird movie. I don't know. There's so much to think about and so many like reversals. Just talking now, realizing how much of it is about like death. There's so much death. And they talk about how it's like, oh, Hollywood is like a place of death. There's like the suicide attempt. There's the assassination, another assassination attempt. Like, and I think at some point they talk about how the deaths come in threes, or maybe that's just something I was thinking of about how mm. that, that's kind of a saying, like the, that deaths come in threes. And like, there are three brushes with death, at least in the movie, but then just references to like so much death to want to be the next Gene Harlow is to want a brush with death, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And also just the reference to like that LA is a place that like kind of lives with the constant threat of being like swallowed up by water. Um, I just feel like that's a big part where it's like, yeah, we're all kind of have this big film industry here and we're all making movies and arguing over artistic control or whatever, but this place is kind of going to be underwater uh, pretty soon. So yeah. Liked it so much. So many different things, but I want to watch it again because I have the sense that there's so much more that I could and would like about it at different, depending on what I'm thinking about. I loved the end of Lion's Love, how like the very last moment, I feel like it's such a beautiful gesture, letting the three actors just talk to camera about seemingly whatever they wanted. Yeah. Because the one guy doesn't seem to really want to like talk about himself and he's like, does a little bit of a kind of John Giorno-esque poetry thing where he's like, here's, he's drinking milk. And he's like, here's to America. Here's to war. Here's to movies. Here's to whatever. And then Viva talks about how she had to improvise all her lines. I thought I would be given a script to read with lines to memorize. And I thought it would be so easy. I always wanted to do a really romantic, tragic, soap opera type love story movie with memorized lines such as, darling, I didn't know you had cancer. What are we going to do now? Who will pay the hotel bill? But instead, I had to make up my own lines once again. B. Kind of referring to being in a lot of Andy Warhol's screen test, I imagine, films. And just kind of saying, oh, and she also says, I was so sick of being naked and in movies and I think she even says of be, of being raped and move, like she was like in all these films where it was like violence toward her and that she was raped and she was always naked and she was like it sounded really fun to be in a film where I was like got to wear my clothes mm-hmm. and like got to like kind of and in the movie she wears such amazing clothes she yeah. wears like the coolest outfits and there's that moment of really like darkness too where she's like oh I'm used to just portraying the dark side of being a muse you know yeah. it's like an object that's being used in these this art And then the third actor is like just being so straightforward and talking about his relationship to acting. And he's like, Mm -hmm. oh, I think whenever I play a character, I bring all of myself to it. And I I can never be a bad actor because everything I I have everything inside me. And that the beginning and ending of the movie to me are just so powerful. Like those decisions to have them like babbling, but then to have them speaking like to what seemed to me as the viewer, like, frankly, like this is what I want to say, giving them that that moment at the end just a beautiful gesture to me by Agnes. 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 (laughs) Agnes. Um, I totally agree. And I, and it's also just the most easy to follow those sort of three monologues at the end. Cause there's a lot of like talking over each other in the movie. And I, this was my second time seeing it. And the first time I saw it, I didn't really like it. I felt like it was like really scattered. I couldn't really get into it and I saw it in theaters it was like shortly after she died and um 
the local theater was doing like a retrospective of her work. And yeah, this time, I mean, for one, I think being able to watch with subtitles really helped me out because yeah. I could kind of like latch on to what they were saying and rather than feeling somewhat alienated by their way of speaking. Right. Um, but what I had remembered from that first watch is specifically Viva's final monologue. And also just at the end, the very end, she says all that stuff about not wanting to be amused. And then she's like, you know, I had to make up all these lines and say these things. I just want to breathe. Yeah. Um, and so like, it's this really long take where Anya Sparta lets her just breathe and like take up space and be. It's yeah, for a so, whole minute. Yeah. And like you hear Anya Sparta kind of counting down. And I think Anya Sparta just like didn't want to cut. Um, and so she just lets the um, reel like run to the end, the role of film, because you see it kind of fade out at the end. And it was the coolest effect too. It kind of reminded me of those like optical illusions where you stare at like a picture of Jesus for a really long time. And then when you like look away and look at a wall, you like still see his yeah. face kind of like that's sort of how I felt when it finally did cut away from Viva where I was like, oh, I still like see her face yeah. everywhere, um, which is amazing. And like very, I think related to this idea of like Hollywood stars and icons and like, yeah, yeah these faces that are just like almost more real than the people who actually existed. Yeah. And just cool that Viva like clearly didn't take herself too seriously either. Yeah. Um, and was able to like kind of make fun of the figure that she was and engage and like just and use all of her amazing like magnetic yeah. presence and look to just like do really cool shit. Um, yeah. Yeah. I awesome. became a huge Viva fan. Like yeah. I had never really been aware of her. I'm like, oh, I live and die for Viva. Now. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Viva Stan. Um, <laughs> something else that I love that you just reminded me of about like the Hollywood thing. And I think, I think it's when Shirley Clark is, is driving through LA. I also like love all of the, the footage taken from cars, like driving through LA mm -hmm. and talking also about how you think of LA as this place. that's like this place of the stars, but they're just normal people living their lives. There never was such a place as Hollywood anyway. It was always a mining camp with service from the Ritz. You mean I won't be able to be the new Greta Garbo, the new Marlene Dietrich, the new Cedar Barrow, the new Rudolph Valentino? Hollywood's a state of mind, nostalgia. I texted my friend right after who lived in LA and she worked for the city. And I was like, you have to watch this movie because it's one of my, I think, I feel like it's the best movie I've seen about LA or, or a very specific movie that feels so about LA, but it's so interesting that it's by like a French director and also the kind of tour guide and all the parts in LA are Shirley Clark. Like she, it's, <laughs> it's her talking about trying to make a big Hollywood movie. And she's coming from the perspective of being a New York independent filmmaker and kind of describing her experiences trying to adapt to it and it, it feels like such a great angle to describing LA yeah and the people who are kind of the California people are kind of like zonked out the whole time and just saying weird stuff yeah yeah I, I love the kind of behind the scenes film film industry stuff that yeah. was there's this one moment that I was, it was making me laugh so much where the just the studio head is kind of like, somebody's like, well, she wants final cut of the movie. And he's like, well, yeah, of course, of course she can have final cut. And then there's like a beat and he's like, but like, of course we will be wanting to 
review it at the end. And if there are any changes we need to make, then we're going to make those changes, you know, on behalf of the studio. And they're like, okay, but that's not really her having final cut. And she wants final cut. And they kind of, and he's like, well, she can have it. She can have it. But of course, if there's something we need to take out of it or edit, then we're going to edit it. It's this really funny conversation. And then she also in the car, just talking about, they're talking about money and how much money that she needed to make the movie. And she's like, my strategy for this is just going to be to like listen and wait for them to say how much money they think it needs to cost because I can make it for however much they want to give me. Mm-hmm. And she's like, if they want to give me $300,000, I'll say, okay, I need $300,000. She's like, I just, I need to figure out how much they want to give me and then say, that's how much I need. I loved what she was saying. It's like, well, mm-hmm. I can make a movie for however much I need to make a movie for. And I feel like that's very Agnes's movies vibe. Yeah. This movie, for example, it seems like it could have, I couldn't stop thinking about how there's basically two locations. There's really basically one main location, which is that house, which they must have just had unfettered access to. And then a small room where they had that conversation, the like businessmen and then a car. And so it's like location wise, there's not a lot going on. There's very few performers in the movie. The scale of the production seemed like it could have been quite small and DIY, but at the same time, the world feels really big because it's all surrounding the RFK assassination. Mm -hmm. I was just really in awe of that, that you barely ever leave this house. They barely ever leave the bed, but the world actually does seem very big and they do seem connected to a contemporary moment, but also a history of like Hollywood and film and kind of like an American way of thinking. Yeah. And sort of the the television as portal to both past and present yeah. of that world um, is super interesting. They spend a lot of time around that TV, which there, there's a funny uh, interview with Viva. And part of it was, she says like, oh, I wanted to do this movie because I just like really love watching TV. And I love when people watch TV and movies. It's like <laughs> one of my favorite things, like in the, the Safdie movie, Good Time. Yeah. I don't know if you, like there's one part where they're watching TV and like a Salino and Barnes commercial is on the TV. <laughs> And it was like, this is perfect filmmaking to me. Like just watching them watch a Salino and Barnes commercial. <laughs> yeah. And I love that scene where in this one where um, Viva, they're watching um, Expedition, like like Arctic Expedition, oh, yeah. like classic Hollywood movie. And then she has a little Bolex camera and she's sort of like imitating the beats of the movie that they're watching with the camera where she's like, oh, reaction, face, face, face. Yeah. Um, it's so amazing to me. Yeah. Speaking of like that house, there is a lot of time in this movie spent to like the artifice of the house and like specifically the props in it. Um, yeah. So like there's whole kind of asides where they do like, you know, a catalog okay. of like the inventory of the house. Inventory of a rented house. One column, nine wax fruits, one stout bird, one pineapple lamb. The little songs throughout are such an awesome nod to like old Hollywood and musicals and stuff. And especially knowing that Varda is like married to Jacques Demy at this time. There's like a lot of just awesome movie musical energy to this with like the street names. There's so much in this movie. There's so much. (laughs) 
Yeah. There's too much. Cause I even remember the street names. I was like, oh, this, like this. And now it's like, <laughs> I just told, I completely forgot that was even part of it. Singing the yeah. street names. That's like a testament to how much is in this movie. You can forget about amazing, important elements. <laughs> like for a second, I forgot too about the huge section in the middle that's about kids and trying to make meaning out of their oh, lives. Yeah. They, they kind of do this, this thing where they're like, we need our lives to have meaning. Should we like have kids? And like, well, we can't have kids. Like that would take too long and you don't want to have a baby. So like, they just like find these kids and bring them to the house and each of them pick out a kid. They like describe what type of kid they would want. They pick out the kid, they bring the kids to the house and like take care of the kids. And then of mm. course, like within a day, they're too tired. And like, we, this can't be the way we make meaning of our lives. Yeah, and, so um, they just give sleeping pills to the kids. Yeah. <laughs> Which later is what Shirley Clark uses to try to kill herself. Right. So, yeah. There are so many things being said in a movie that is, so, again, feels so like playing, like kids playing, like the three characters. There's something super childlike. And they're using, yeah, they're using props. They're having these phone calls and getting in these fights about like, who's going to get the coffee? Like somebody has to get us coffee neither none of us can get out of bed and then they're, they're making this like it's not even it doesn't feel like making a statement but like that a lot of people have kids to try to give their lives meaning mm -hmm. and is that an appropriate way to try to make meaning of your life you see them just like <laughs> pumping the kids full of like soda and yeah candy and these kids are just like running wild like so hyper yeah um yeah should we talk about the like sort of Varda's moments of stepping in front of the camera and her sort of role as like Shirley Clark stand-in or Shirley Clark as Anya Sparta stand-in. The first time I think that it officially happens is like during the suicide attempt scene. Because yeah. um, earlier in the film, we do see Anya Sparta, there's like a cool shot where she's sort of panning back and forth over a mirror. Mm -hmm. And so you see her with the camera and the reflection and it's sort of acknowledged where Viva's like, oh, Anya's like, am I ruining your shot if I like look at myself in this mirror and there's a couple I also love the um the opening credits of this movie which is like very simple white text on black screen kind of like scrolling text and they're they start singing like a Cole Porter tune and they're like oh we can't yeah. sing that because like Agnes will have to pay royalties and they're like oh but he's been dead a while so maybe actually it'll be okay there's sort of this amazing acknowledgement throughout of her presence but then the scene where she really steps in is like Shirley Clark is in the scene where she's supposed to lie in bed. And it's like one of the few scenes of sort of stillness and silence. Mm -hmm. And then she's just like, I wouldn't kill myself to, because I can't make a movie that's ridiculous. Um, like I can't, this feels so false to who I am. Um, and she's like, I know I said I would do this and like, I want to support your movie on yes, but like, I really can't. And they have the sort of this like fake fight on camera where I'm right. just like kind of fed up and she's just like oh, fine and you just see her like come on with the same costume take the pills and she's like see I did it like you should have been the one to do it uh yeah. and yeah and then Shirley Clark kind of acquiesces and is like oh you're right I should have um, done it yeah yeah I don't know if I fully understand what it's doing there beyond like pointing to sort of artifice of filmmaking and like the filmmaker as character like what we talked about with Uncle Yanko but yeah, it's sort of an interesting that it's like a fake fight and that there's sort of this animosity between them. Yeah, I really like, I, there was a moment in that too where Anya says, I'm trying to make a movie. You do it. That's what I told you to begin with. 
I'm trying to make a movie and right. How to you do it? It's your story. You do it. Has to be done. You should have done it, really. Like that's one of the kind of brusque things she says. She's like, "Oh, like okay, well, I'm trying to make a movie. Like you should be doing this. Like you said you would do it. I'm trying to make a movie." And she's quite frustrated. And I, I really liked how I guess it that it felt like a very familiar feeling when you're making something. Like once you get to a certain point, it's like I'm, it's like I'm just trying to make this movie. Something can be so super meaningful. Like, but how there are also aspects of filmmaking that are it's just like work. It's like. We're at work today. We we have to get this scene because it's part of this like larger piece. I just liked the like casualness of it. Making a movie is really hard and making a movie is really easy. Mm. How it wasn't like, come on, this is really important. It's like, I'm trying to make a movie. Come on. Like you need to do this now. In this moment, she's kind of like, look, it's easy. All this was your job to, at this moment. You just take these pills and you die. You know, <laughs> that like that sticks out to me. Just the way, the way she said, I'm trying to make a movie. It, she said it with the tone of almost like I'm trying to load the dishwasher. Yeah, it's not that it's not that difficult, and yeah, especially it's not that serious. Yeah, and especially when juxtaposed with machinations of like Hollywood with Charlie yeah. Clark's movie, um, and she says herself in that same conversation where she's talking about budget and sort of just accepting or demanding whatever they are willing to offer, um, where she's like oh man, there's like these quotas where I have to have like 20 people on set or whatever. And she's like, that's ridiculous. Oh, that's yeah. way too many people. Like I can make this with like two people. Yeah. Um, it's, it's again, not that hard. And yet yeah. like it's sort of the industry is making it harder and like more expensive than it needs to be. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that too. It's like, I don't want all these people around. Like you don't <laughs> have to have all these people around to do this, but that's what I loved about the film the element of like drawing attention to the filmmaking because it's like both things where it's like filmmaking is really hard and it's really easy and like you kind of decide if you're making films you have to just kind of decide what is it going to be hard or is it going to be easy is this such a big deal like she reminded me of like my cousin who when we were little like doing plays you know mm -hmm. like doing a play at your house like no one is watching and being like being like I don't want to do this and being like we already did it you're this is the part you do it like just do it you know, it's like, we're already this far along, do the part you said you would do. And so we mm -hmm. can move on. But it's like in the larger context, it's like, it doesn't matter at all, but it matters enough to not stop. Like, that's what's so beautiful about it. It's like, this doesn't matter. It's, it's easy. It doesn't matter, but it's, she's not saying, okay, well then we don't have to make the movie. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty amazing. Well, thank you for this. This is awesome. Oh my God. Thank you for having me. That was really fun. Yeah. I'm so glad I watched that movie. I'm so, yeah, it's, I'm glad I rewatched it and gave it more of a chance. Um, yeah. Cause it's, it's really kind of amazing. Jeanette. Spencer. Andy. Olivia. 